If you would, uh, open up to in your Bibles, or I guess in the bulletin, to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. We're going to sort of straddle chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, so if you can find, if you're worried when you hear that name because you're not familiar with it, just find Matthew and go back one book and you're good to go. Uh, so Malachi. Um, of course, as we uh, all this talk about school and, and school starting for our, you know, our youth and then uh, in college not too far away at Converse and, and Wofford, uh, we begin thinking about fall. Of course, it's the fall semester, we call it. But we, we think of the fall, and if we're from around here, uh, we tend to think of the fall. We, we can easily, our minds begin to go toward autumn and toward uh, the mountains and maybe driving up. Uh, you know, to the mountains for apple picking or, you know, a festival of some sort or whatever it might be. And you undoubtedly, if you've done that in the past, you've driven up from here, you've driven up I-26. For me, living in in Greenville, I've driven up Highway 25 uh, and heading up to the mountains. The mountains in particular are sort of that symbol of, of, for those of us in this area, of, of fall. And, uh, undoubtedly, if you've done that drive before, you've noticed, um, You've noticed something about the way the mountains are, the way the mountains work. When you're driving um, on, say, I-26, and you see mountains from, say, 10 miles away, the mountains look very different when you're 10 miles away from them as opposed to maybe a mile from them. Okay? When you're 10 miles away from, from a mountain, uh, you, it, it's the appearance of maybe a single mountain. Okay, when you're when you're that far away, but but as you drive closer, and maybe as you get closer and closer to the North Carolina border, maybe where you're just a mile away from that, uh, from you know driving up the mountain, you notice that what you thought was one mountain ten miles ago is actually a series of mountains or a series of peaks, uh, and it, but it only you needed to be closer uh, to it to be able to actually to see it. Uh, and that it was a series of peaks and not just one. Now, if you, if you understand what I'm saying, use that as an illustration for how uh, when, we, when we look at a book like Malachi and when we look at Old Testament prophecy, that illustration is really helpful to us. Because, you see, often standing uh, centuries away from a prophecy's fulfillment, a, a people and a, and a prophet might have interpreted the prophecy one way initially. But as they got closer to that prophecy's ultimate fulfillment, it actually looked much different. It, it broadened. It deepened. Okay? So from 10 miles away, you might say, it looked one way. The prophecy looked one way. And yet, uh, what was sort of you know, one mountain peak, you might say, 10 miles away, as you got closer to it, as you were just a mile from it, uh, you realize that there's sort of maybe a series of peaks to this prophecy, so to speak. Uh, and today's passage is an example of this sort of feature of prophecy. Given uh, what the people knew of this, um, uh, given what the people knew at the time of, of Malachi, they interpreted it one way. But over time, God's people uh, have seen that it's not simple. It's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as what uh, Malachi and the people thought in his day. 
It's not to say that they were wrong. It's just rather that as they got closer, and as, as time brought them closer to that prophecy's ultimate fulfillment, it looked very uh, different. It, 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 uh, the prophecy deepened. It, it, uh, you know, there, was, there was a greater depth to it than originally thought. So today, as we look at this passage, what, I'm, what I want to do, we're going we're gonna to look at it really and just, we have two points to our outline. We're going to look at this prophecy from 10 miles away, so to speak, okay, from the perspective of Malachi and the people in his day. And then we're going to come closer to it, and we're going to look at it from, from just a mile away, uh, as it were. Okay? And in both cases, uh, we're going to be moving toward the conclusion that the hope of our hearts is not found in a mere man, but in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Okay? That the hope of our hearts, what we really long for, the hope is not found in a mere man, it's found in the God-man, uh, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at our passage now together. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, the very last verse of chapter 2, which is verse 17. This is God's word, and it's our rule for faith and for life. Malachi 2 verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Let's ask his blessing. Our God, we come to you as a frail and broken people uh, with many things that would uh, distract us from your word this morning. We keep in mind, though, the promise uh, of, uh, of Scripture, what the psalmist says, that those who delight in and meditate upon your word, they, they will be like trees planted by streams of water. Uh, Lord, that would be uh, my prayer for us this morning. Uh, that we would delight in and meditate upon your word. And that indeed, we would be as trees planted by streams of water uh, this morning. Father, would your spirit so bless our time, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so 10 miles away, one mile away. But first, we'll start with 10 miles away. So 10 miles away from, from this prophecy. We're going to look at it, in other words, from Malachi's perspective. And one thing that's especially important as you think about this uh, from Malachi's perspective is understand 
uh, that God's people had very high expectations uh, in Malachi's day and what God was going to do. About 60 years earlier, around 520 B.C., Haggai had closed his ministry. Haggai, whose his, uh, prophecies are recorded in our Bibles, uh, Haggai had closed his ministry with the promise that a repentant nation, uh, that a repentant nation was going to receive uh, economic and, and national blessing. And as a result of that promise, uh, the people of God had very, very high expectations when Malachi came along in his ministry. They expected this sort of golden age of, of affluence and prosperity. And yet over a half a century uh, passes from the, de- from the time of Haggai, and that time had not come. Instead, it continued to be this, this age of adversity. There was drought. Uh, there was depression. The people's high expectations that were passed down to them from a previous generation and their understanding of Haggai's prophecy, those expectations were shattered. Okay? And not realizing that they were the problem because they had, not really, they had not changed their ways. They had not repented of their past sin, sort of stuff that led them into the, into the Babylonian exile. Okay? And because they had not looked at themselves, they immediately began to, to point the finger and even pointed the finger at God, as we see in our, in our passage. I mean, how has God loved us? Why has He not accepted our, our offerings, they wanted to know. And then you look at verse 17, and they, uh, they even charged God with indifference toward the evil around them. Verse 17, it, it sort of highlights this cynicism. Where is the God of justice? They wouldn't point the finger at themselves. They were pointing it at God. Where is the God of justice in the midst of of our great disappointment? Now, uh, we can relate, I think, to some some degree in in how the people felt, especially as American Christians. Um, You know, where is God? Where Where are His blessings? You know, He's promised so much more to me than what I'm experiencing in my life. You know, why does my boss continue to sort of hassle me as he does, especially my unbelieving boss? Uh, You know, how can he just continue to hassle me as he does? Why am I at odds with my family? Why can't I ever get a break with money? I'm I'm faithful in in, in budgeting and tithing, and yet I never have any sort of a break when it comes to money. Why does everything seem to come so easy for others and not for me, especially uh, with my unbelieving neighbors and, and friends? It, life just seems to come easier for them. You know, maybe, you know, will our country ever be, uh, you know, what it ought to be or what it could be? We might not have spoken those words out loud, but I think most of us at some point have, have, have thought questions like these because the weight of life can just be sort of overbearing to us. And it is very, very easy for us, uh, especially, again, as Americans who, who expect so much, it's very easy for us to become disappointed and very easy for us to begin to point the finger at God in our hearts. And, and so, you know, life and, and hardship and trials are going to do that to our faith. They're going to make us question God because, you know, life and and, and trials, um, they're hard. 
and they really challenge us. And faith, faith is, is faith. It, it, faith is a conviction and something that's unseen. And those trials and hardships are not unseen. They're very much right in front of us. And they very much are, are something that we feel. It, it's something that we, that we see in some ways that we can reach out and touch. So I think we can relate to this people in some ways in understanding the sort of disappointment that they felt we can have that disappointment in our own lives as well. We look back at our text, we, we see that faced with their shattered expectations, like we have our own shattered expectations, again, we see at the end of chapter 2 how the people began to point the finger at God and say, where is the God of justice <clears throat> in the midst of everything that, that we're experiencing? Where is the God of justice? And, of course, God does not meet their question with silence, we see. Through Malachi, uh, the God of justice reveals his answer to the problem. And he does so in the opening verse of, of, of chapter 3. God would send, he would send a first messenger to prepare the way for a second messenger, uh, also known as the messenger of the covenant. So he would, he would send a first messenger to prepare the way for a second messenger, also known as the messenger of the covenant. And through this second messenger, the many wrongs of the land, uh, wrongs that have been listed, if you were to read um, uh, Malachi, you'd see the first couple chapters, just, just all sorts of wrongs that are listed uh, throughout those first few chapters. And all of these wrongs would be made right, okay, through this second messenger. Let's... Let's break down. We're still 10 miles away, okay? We're still looking at this prophecy from Malachi's perspective, 10 miles away. Let's look at these two messengers here for, for a moment. Uh, and the first messenger, it, it's pretty simple. Malachi's name, that, that name, it actually means my messenger, okay? So you have, uh, you have Malachi, this prophet, whose name in, uh, is understood to mean my messenger, Okay? And here he is prophesying this. And there's a little question that at the time, uh, the prophet Malachi would have been identified as the first messenger uh, of uh, this messenger in the beginning of verse 1. Now, now messengers were, they were real people. Like this was a job, um, like a, you know, a cupbearer or something like that. Okay? A messenger had a job. The messenger was one who would go and prepare the way for someone greater than he, uh, you know, namely a king. Okay? The messenger would go and prepare the way for a, a king, including sort of an announcement of a king's uh, presence. Uh, it, it makes me think a little bit, the messenger's job, it makes me think of something I'm, I'm uh, somewhat ashamed to admit. Some of you are going to think less of me. Some of you, if the Kendricks were here, certainly Justin and the boys would think more highly of me. But it makes me think of a professional wrestling a little bit and the professional wrestling events that I've actually attended in my lifetime. A long time ago, like early teens, I'm 43 now, so about 30 years ago, I've been to a couple different professional wrestling events. And now as entertaining as those matches can be, um, sometimes... The matches themselves aren't nearly as exciting as the entrance of the wrestlers. If you've ever even seen it on TV, you, know, you get an idea of what I'm talking about, especially the big-name wrestlers or the main event uh, you know, when, these, when, these, uh, when these wrestlers come in. 
You, you see music blares over the speakers, and you have this, you have an announcer, okay, who announces with great drama, you know, the entry of, in my day, you know, Hulk Hogan or the Macho Man Randy Savage, that sort of thing. And, and you'd have, you'd have these, these wrestlers come in and, my friends and I, when we would go to these things, we'd go wild. We loved it. My dad would wonder why, what he had gotten himself into. But uh, the messenger, in some ways, I want you to think of that, that the messenger's role in, in ancient days was a little bit like the ring announcers, in the sense that he was announcing the one, the coming of one who is greater than he. Okay? And as Malachi and God's people thought, um, uh, Again, is what they thought from 10 miles away uh, that this was Malachi's role, okay? that he was announcing the coming of one greater than he. Being the first messenger of the covenant, Malachi was announcing the, the coming of a greater second messenger of the covenant and announcing the, the, the way for this second messenger, this messenger of the covenant, Malachi, was, he was preparing the way for all the wrongs to be made right. All those wrongs that are cataloged even in our verses, in the verses 3 through 5, um, and spoken of again throughout this whole book. He was preparing the way. This messenger of the covenant, he was going to be one to make right uh, all the things that were wrong. And so they heard this with great anticipation, as you might guess. But all of this, of course, begs a question. Still 10 miles away. Who's the second messenger of the covenant? Who's, this, who's the, the second messenger, the messenger of the covenant? It was easy enough to identify Malachi as the first messenger of the covenant, this sort of ring announcer, right? Announcing the coming of one greater than he. But who did the people of Malachi's day think was the second messenger? The one for whom Malachi was preparing the way. No one knew. I hate to disappoint. No one knew, not even Malachi. There was really no one that came along in that time who, who fulfilled this role and, and to be able to do the things that are spoken of here. There was speculation. Jewish commentators um, have said that Malachi and the people, that they likely believed that the messenger of the covenant was some sort of angel that would come or maybe Elijah himself uh, would, would, would come back from, from the dead. But no one, no one was certain. No one would have bet the farm on who the second messenger was, the messenger of the covenant. So that's why it's necessary for us to move forward to get to our second point. We're, we're going to look at this now from, from just a mile away. We've seen the mountain range as it were from 10 miles away. Now we want to zoom in and see in more detail what we can learn. Uh, and I think today we have a much clearer vision of, what this, of, of whom this prophecy spoke, of whom it prophesied. Uh, interestingly enough, in the very opening verses, the first couple verses of the Gospel of Mark, Mark actually quotes Malachi 3.1. And he, he paraphrases it in such a way that he makes it very clear that, that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy and that Jesus was this anonymous second messenger of the covenant. It was Jesus actually then for whom Malachi was the forerunner. He wasn't speaking so much as someone to come and fulfill that, to be that messenger of the covenant in his day. He was looking uh, further ahead. And John the Baptist certainly would come on the scene and, and fulfill in a more immediate sense. He would fulfill the role that Malachi had. He, 
John the Baptist would be sort of this first messenger, again, preparing the way for the second messenger, the messenger of the covenant. But what I'm saying is that it, that it was Jesus in whom the people of Malachi's day should hope. Malachi was directing their attention to Jesus the Savior. It was he who was going to be able to make right the wrongs of that day. It was Jesus in whom they could trust. It was Jesus who would judge the wicked. And after all, as I said earlier, this would seem to make sense because the hope of our hearts um, is not found in a mere man. It's found in the God-man, Jesus. Now, Malachi and God's people, they may not have realized it because the mountain range was too far away, but in faith, they were to believe that the answers to life's problems It was not going to be found in a mere man that God might send their way. Time and time and time again, I mean, if the, the Old Testament is a study of anything, it's a study that no prophet, no priest, no king can do can do the job of changing people's hearts and leading the people righteously. Life even teaches us that, doesn't it? It teaches us that not even the most faithful among men is completely reliable. All of mankind, all of us sharing a nature that is opposed to God, man will will surely disappoint time and time and time again. You can set your watch by it. You can write it in stone. Man will disappoint. Even the great ones. And certainly as we look to, to a, a book in which, you know, again, this is it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's essentially really the last, even chronologically, um, we're talking the very end of sort of the Old Testament age here. And the Old Testament taught us that no prophet, no priest, all these things, no king, all these, all these uh, various people, these, these offices as we, as we call them in sort of theological circles, none of these could save people. And so God wasn't going to send, he says, just another one of these to try again. But again, you know, and when we think of people like Abraham and, 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 uh, you know, Sarah, Moses, David, the prophets, uh, even in the New Testament, we think of people like Peter and Paul, Mary, Martha. uh, None of these people were without these, these great names. None of them were without their issues. And the same is true today. Now, for this messenger of the covenant that we read about in, in chapter 1, or in chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 3, for this messenger of the covenant to do the things that are spoken of in verses 3 through 5, ultimately he could not be a man. He needed to be man, as we saw earlier from our New City Catechism. Uh, but if you haven't uh, yet already with your New City Catechism, you certainly will coming up. I didn't look what was before, what was after, but you're going to know. You're going to find out why the Redeemer had to be God, and not just man. Uh, he had to be both. Okay. And as I said earlier, we can appreciate the feeling that both Malachi and God's people had in their day. We know what it's like to have hardships and trials that leave us disappointed, even at times disappointed. In God, we're, we're all too familiar with those sorts of disappointments. 
makes me think of a, um, uh, the book, uh, A Grief Observed. I don't know if you've ever read that book, book by C.S. Lewis, really thin book, probably about as thick as my little finger. Um, uh, and, a, and a wonderful little book, a very raw and very honest book about grieving. His, uh, you might know a little bit about his story. He was a long, long time bachelor, was married very, very late in life. Uh, but was only married a few years before his wife died of cancer, uh, this massive disappointment uh, in his life. And a grief observed is simply, it's essentially, you know, journals of C.S. Lewis working through his grief, and it is very, very raw at times. Uh, But he makes this point toward the end of the book. He says this, he says, it's not true that I'm always thinking of her, talking about his wife, Work and conversation make that impossible to be thinking of her all the time, okay? But the times when I'm not are perhaps the worst. For then, though I have forgotten the reason, there is spread over everything a vague sense of wrongness, of something amiss. I see the rowan berries reddening and don't know for a moment why they, of all things, should be depressing. I hear a clock strike and some quality of it Uh, Some quality it always had before has gone out of the sound. So what he's saying there is he's not always necessarily thinking of her, but his grief is always there. And things, even when he's not directly thinking of her, things that normally would have brought him joy, things that are beautiful or things that are are unique, something's just wrong. There's this vague sense of wrongness. Uh, A little bit of an illustration of of that. David mentioned that I was a campus minister for 11 years. One of the places where I served was at Virginia Tech. I was a campus minister at Virginia Tech when the shootings happened in April of 2007. And um, uh, you, might know, uh, you might know that you know, once a year, Ben & Jerry's, the ice cream shop, has um, a free cone day. Well, free cone day that year fell uh, right after the shootings happened at Virginia Tech. And so normally this time where you're all excited about going to Ben & Jerry's, free cone day and you can literally eat, you know, get a single scoop and go right back in line and go get another scoop. I mean, you can just do this perpetual. It's wonderful, wonderful day of the year uh, if you have a shop, an ice cream shop, a Ben & Jerry's ice cream store in your town. Well, we did in Blacksburg, but a few days after the shooting, you know, that ice cream just didn't taste the same. There was this vague sense of wrongness, of something amiss. Uh, even with something as normally as delicious as ice cream. And I'm sure you know that feeling, that feeling of this vague sense of wrongness, of something amiss in the world. Maybe it's been uh, as the result of the death of someone you love, family, friend, um, over a grown child that's uh, maybe gone astray. Uh, Maybe you've, you've been hurt from harsh words even maybe words that were spoken to you years and years and years ago, and yet you still can't shake those words. Maybe you've been hurt from betrayal. Maybe just the constant burden of life and its responsibilities uh, weigh you down. Okay? These things bring disappointment. These hardships bring disappointment in our lives. At times, we point the finger at God, just like the people in Malachi's day did point the finger at God. What would be God's word for us today? When we say, where is the God of justice? What would be God's word for us today? The final answer is not in education. It's not in laws. It's not in nations. It's not in presidents. It's not in the goodness of mankind. It's not in medicine. 
as helpful as these things can be for a time. The answer to our, our struggles and our hardships is this messenger of the covenant. The answer is that he has come and that he will come again, finally and completely, to right the wrongness, this vague sense of wrongness that we know all too well. And that's not easy, of course, to believe that. It's not easy at all. We must struggle with all our might to believe this truth. The same hope that offered, offered by Malachi to, his, to the people in his day, it's the same hope for us today. It's still this messenger of the covenant, Jesus, who has come and will come again to make, to make things right. When, when the first or last, when death becomes life, when suffering turns to joy, when weariness becomes rest. He is our hope. He is our hope. There's a little bit of a twist almost in this passage as we look at it. It says, who will endure the day of His coming? Okay, look at verse 2. Who can endure the day of His coming? For He is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. The answer, you know, the answer to our, our struggles Right? This Jesus, this messenger of the covenant says, yeah, but who can endure the day of his coming? You see the tension there. It, it's, a, it's a question similar to one that uh, Martin Luther asked. He wrote the, the uh, famous hymn based on, uh, on Psalm 130, and he asks, God, if you market iniquities, secret sins, and dark misdeeds, who can stand before you? That's an important question that you have to ask yourself this morning. Who can endure the day of Jesus' coming if He marks even the secrets of our minds, if He marks even the secrets of our hearts, things that we can barely admit to ourselves, let alone others? Who could not fear His justice when all of your secrets are just laid open before uh, like a book? You see, is, you see, the truth is, is that both Luther and Malachi's questions are rhetorical. The, the questions expect a negative answer. No one can stand. No one can endure. For God does not tolerate sin. Then what are we to do? Again, this is the answer to our hope. And yet now he's saying, but who can endure the day of his coming? Luther's answer is the same as the Bible's answer. To wash away the crimson stain, grace, grace alone avails. Grace alone avails. After saying that all of mankind is dead in its trespasses and sins, the Apostle Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, God made us alive together uh, with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. So what are we to do when the hope of our hearts, what are we to do when the very hope of our hearts, the answer to life's wrongs, ends up pointing His just finger at us? We believe. We believe that He is gracious and that He is still the answer to our woes. We believe that He offered Himself as a sacrifice to God on behalf of sinners. We believe that He is full of grace to those sinners who otherwise have no hope. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's been our, our hope in this world from the very beginning. 
and it will be until he comes again. But of course, it's not easy. We have to persevere in believing this great truth. Certainly being present here, uh, having this supper in, a, in just a few minutes, these are ways that we build and strengthen that faith within us. But we must persevere in believing time and time and time again that Jesus is the hope of our hearts. Uh, to close our time, I, I want to drive ahead a bit farther. We considered prophecy, uh, Malachi's prophecy from 10 miles away, from a mile away. Um, but I think there's still an even closer vision that I want us just to refer to here as we close. Uh, and what I want to do is I want to drive ahead uh, a little bit farther toward the mountain. You might say that we, we're driving into the parking lot, that we're uh, to the parking lot right near the trailhead, that we're getting out of the car and that we want to walk uh, we want to hike our way to, to this mountain, to where we're almost to the top of this mountain. And John, the Apostle John, gives us a clearer vision, even yet, of the fulfillment of this prophecy. If you would, turn in the second to the last chapter of the Bible. If you have your Bible, look in Revelation chapter 21 for this vision of what this prophecy's ultimate fulfillment uh, will look like. C.S. Lewis says it very well. He he says that this is chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Revelation 21 verse one says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride or uh, uh, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. and He will be my son. Let's pray and ask God to work in us. Our Father, indeed, we see here that you are the... Uh, you are the hope of our hearts. Lord Jesus, you are the hope of a people who are, who are tired, who are weary, who are disappointed. And we pray that you would empower us in our faith uh, to believe all the more in what you have done, in what you are doing, and what you will do. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, would you come to us now uh, and visit us by your Spirit and strengthen our weak and feeble faith. And we pray this all in the name of you, Lord Jesus. Amen.